On this week's episode, does Blizzard have some scary plans for the future? Are movie picks to watch this Halloween? And what is the number one video game of all time? All this and more as you once again delve into a spooky episode of <laughs> the Pop Culture Cosmos. Welcome to the Pop Culture Cosmos. And we're back with a spooky episode of the Pop Culture Cosmos. This is Cousin It, Gerald Glassford, talking to you right here from Pop Culture Cosmos, Inside Sports, Fantasy Football, the Lakers Fast Break Podcast, and Game Source, wishing you and everyone out there a happy and safe Halloween upcoming very soon for you. Let's hope you get all the treats you can when you're out there trick-or-treating. But it wouldn't be a Halloween and spooky and scary episode of the Pop Culture Cosmos without my good friend. He's our own scary ghoul. Oh, of Pop Culture Cosmos. You got to check out what he's doing today at popculturecosmos.com, popculturecosmos.wordpress.com, and everything that he's doing with this awesome book. Congratulations, you suck. It is my good friend. It is Josh Peterson. <laughs> Welcome back, my friend. Hey, just hanging out here at Ghoul School with my good friend Scooby Doo. See that reference I just did? Yeah, think about it. Zoinks! Scooby-Doo in the ghoul school, man. That's where it's at. Well, you know what? In honor of Scooby-Doo and its 50th anniversary this year, which we celebrated earlier this year, if you also want to check out a great episode that features Scooby-Doo as well, not only check out our past episode of the Pop Culture Cosmos, but also check out the Air Station One podcast that celebrated 50 years of Scooby-Doo as well. You get a chance to check that out if you're a big Scooby-Doo fan like we are. But it is going to be a great episode, a spooky and scary Halloween episode for you today. We've got a lot of things going on, including our good friend, Jason Todd Feinberg from Hunnic Queen. Since he's our Halloween man in the know, he's going to be talking about some of the great Halloween movies. In fact, he has a countdown of the top 10 Halloween movies that you should see. Josh has some picks for albums coming up later in the show. So a little bit of music we're going to throw in on you there, plus some horror picks from us as well coming up later in the program. And on top of all that, we've got our number one, the number 10. That's right, the top 10 list. We're finally here after so many episodes. We're finally here, the top 10 video games of all time as determined by our voters that follow us at the Pop Culture Cosmos. Our top 10 is finally here, including our number one, and that's going to be coming up in the program as well. But my friend, I want to start off with a general note as far as pop culture, because you know it's still a lot of stuff going on in pop culture out there, and that's Blizzard. I know they're not high on your Christmas card list, but I wanted to hear your thoughts as stuff is leaking out as far as games upcoming. And as no shocker upon no shocker, two of the games that have done very well for them are having new iterations come very soon in Diablo 4, and also as well, Overwatch 2. I kind of was surprised at Overwatch 2 coming out a little bit sooner than I thought. I thought they would let that fester a little bit, since that seems to be the thing with successful video games, that they actually just let them go on for years and years and years now, 
maybe like instead of a two to three year window, like more like a five year window for some of these type of games. They just bring out DLC, bring out DLC and let the player base perpetuate a little bit more, a little bit more, a little bit longer. But we're seeing now signs that Overwatch 2 and Diablo 4 are both on the way from Blizzard. Does this get you excited at all for anything Blizzard? Or is it going to take something different for you to ever get into a game from Blizzard? I just want to point out, have you noticed that these announcements, I feel like these announcements were, why are they making the announcements now? Because I feel like they were being saved for like a big gaming event. And then all this bad publicity started getting thrown at them. So they're trying to do the old shift of the hand maneuver here and get you to look at something else while they work on whatever it is they're doing behind the scenes. So it's just, if the timing feels weird, it feels forced. But, you know, as for your question, does this excite me? Not really, because I, you know, like we've talked about before, I've never been a fan of Blizzard games. I've never really gotten into them. I have plenty of friends who love World of Warcraft and Diablo and things like that, but I just have never been a fan of Blizzard games. And it's not anything I have against the company. It's not a political thing. It's not a social thing. It's nothing like that. I just, they don't make anything that I'm interested in. I've never had a PC powerful enough to run their stuff. And when the stuff that they have, like Overwatch comes out on console, I just haven't had any interest in it because it's it's all it was it was like multiplayer, mainly multiplayer, and like a lot of these games I just never got into. So what would it take to get me to play a Blizzard game? It would take something with a good story, a good like role playing game, something on console, something I can play by myself. If they had that, and it's not something that I had to go back four games, you know, like Diablo and play the originals to understand, I would be like a completely new IP. That's what would get me to play. Something new, something on console, something I don't have to play multiplayer for. You're right. A new IP for a lot of people because they do have a certain way they go about doing things. They also have a certain way that they approach their base of customers, which whatever you want to say about Blizzard, and especially they've been in the news lately for speaking out or punishing those who speak out against what's going on in Hong Kong. And they've been very adamant about that and have had to go ahead and walk themselves back a few steps because they've been too harsh and they've received a lot of criticism for it. Whatever you want to say about Blizzard, they do have a connected base that is with them and and eats anything up that they have to offer. I mean, we've had people that have worked with us on this show and for yourgamesource.com, the previous entity that we had, that just truly ate anything up that Blizzard was willing to dish out. They were not at all interested in first-person shooters until Blizzard made one. They were not at all interested into card games until Blizzard made one. So they do have a fervent fan base that is very loyal to everything that they put out and will always continue to do so seemingly for the foreseeable future, which is nice. But BlizzCon is coming up, which is their annual convention that they do, which is very Blizzard-centric. So they're going to be announcing probably Diablo 4 and also Overwatch 2 is because they're both heavily rumored to be announced at BlizzCon next week. So it appears to me that they're lining us all up to have a great BlizzCon for themselves. That's probably the reason why, Josh, that you don't hear much from them during the course of E3, during the course of pretty much any other time of the year because they want to save it all for themselves. And you got to remember, since they're a publicly traded company, they have to go ahead and make a big splash. So to go ahead and be able to not only when they announce their earnings, but also as well to make a big splash so that investors can feel safe in their product. Because a lot of times with those publicly traded video game companies, it's not about 
appeasing so much you and I, the gamer. Sometimes it's about appeasing the shareholders. Yeah, but I feel like that kind of takes the soul out of gaming. Like if you're not making something for the gamers, but you're making something for the shareholders, that's been Nintendo's problem for so long is that they never want to venture out and make new IPs and they, they just stick to the stuff they know that makes money. You know, b- before what, Reggie Phil Ames was in charge, they had just had a board full of doctors. Not, is it, no, it's just a board full of businessmen and they just wanted to keep making more Mario stuff, more Zelda stuff, more of this. And while some of those games have been good, it doesn't really open an opportunity to gain new fans into these series or franchises. It just kind of, continues on the path that they're doing with blizzard like it hasn't been working very well you know i know they have their dedicated fan base but they're not doing anything to grow that fan base and i think that could be their achilles heel that could be their achilles heel and it could be something that might cost them in the long run because if they keep doing things that angers the gaming community like they did recently with the heavy crackdown on individuals that were supporting democracy in hong kong that it will probably lead to a lot of backlash and could lead to an eventual disassociation with the Blizzard products. But I don't see them making that stupid of a maneuver. I see them going ahead and maybe, hey, ease up a bit on whatever rhetoric you have. We need to go ahead and keep our loyal Chinese base and because they do make a nice chunk of change in China. And this goes back to what you know we've seen out of from the NBA from Hollywood, from all facets of the entertainment and pop culture spectrum, China is now a major player in this industry as far as what they offer and what they take in from consumer products like these. So you are catering to them and to what their will is seemingly. So the same issues that we have in the NBA, we now have with Blizzard, we now have with other entertainment entities as well. So this creates a problem because the thing is, if you're too hard on these gamers that are supporting the democratic cause in Hong Kong, then you're going to have a lot of people that have issues and are going to go ahead and not spend their money with Blizzard products. So you have to walk that fine line while trying to take care of both entities in China and everywhere else. You cannot keep going ahead and stepping on too many toes like they did recently because punishing that gamer so harshly really took a little bit of a bite out of them. And I hope they don't go ahead and make those same mistakes in the future because if they continue to do so, you'll be seeing the hashtag boycott Blizzard a lot more often. Yeah, I mean, that's you, you don't mix politics with your product, no matter what it is, because what we've seen in recent times is that you can't please anybody on either side of the political spectrum. You can't please all of them. It's such a toxic thing to dive into. Like me, I write books. I never go on Facebook or Instagram or any of these things and make political comments because that's like the death throw of anyone trying to sell anything. So it's just, it's a smart move not to do it. And, you know, there's a whole other conversation to be had about whether or not companies should be able to feel forced to do things like this in order to keep sales going in a certain region of the world. But that's a whole other conversation, you know, for another time, but it's just, it's, it's, it's a balancing act, you know, and it's, I, I don't think Blizzard has done that very well. Now, mind you, you don't go on the air about your political comments or Facebook or social media on that. But every now and then you might go ahead and interject something when it concerns a movie review that certain people take umbrage to. I remember a certain Wonder Woman movie that came out and you said it was okay. And my gosh, you got roasted on the fire like you were, you know, like you were a turkey in the oven. 
Yeah, seriously. Yeah, Wonder Woman <laughs> was. You a, didn't say it was bad. You just no, I it did not. Bad. Yeah, that okay. was an interesting. Yeah. Yeah, I guess it was not as okay as people wanted me to think it was, I suppose. Yeah, legendary, man. Legendary. Yes. I remember the backlash on that. I thought Josh was going to have to go ahead and you know have a PR rep come out for, yes, I'd like to speak on behalf of Josh and like to say he apologizes for the thing he says and la, 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 you know, all that. But uh, yeah. I, was, I was writing out my apology, too, but uh, it all blew over, so it was all right. All right, all right. For now, wait until Wonder Woman 84 comes out. But anyways, all right, my friend. It's still an issue, though, with Blizzard and their tenuous future going forward. I mean, they're going to have their player base. I think there's still going to be a loyal fan base that follows them no matter what. It's that fringe of individuals that love their games but do not like Blizzard as a whole. That's going to be the key about Going forward, will they still be at that upper echelon of gaming communities and gaming companies that's going to be out there? Will they be at the upper echelon and will they stay that way? In fact, when you could go ahead and have your own large community gathering such as BlizzCon every single year, you know you have to be up there when it comes to the gaming community as a whole. So in order to keep your status going forward, you got to do things to take care of that community Will you go ahead and service your customers or will you go ahead and you service your shareholders? We're going to have to go ahead and see what goes on here in the near future when it comes to Blizzard Entertainment, when it announces most likely Overwatch 2 and also Diablo 4. What enhancements are they going to be able to still make with World of Warcraft and some of the other things that they're going to do? We're going to find out over the course of the next week when BlizzCon comes around, but the future going forward is a little tenuous, but I still see good things as far as sales, interest, and also the products that come out with Blizzard Entertainment, even if everybody doesn't like them as a whole in regards to what they do and the games that they put out. What are your thoughts out there on Blizzard Entertainment? Are you a big fan of what they do? Are you like Josh and just not liking anything that they put out there? Or are you like me? And you're kind of just not exactly in love with some of the ways that they go about with their customers. Share us your thoughts, popculturecosmos at yahoo.com. Also as well, popculturecosmos, Humanity Media, and GameSource on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram as well. You're listening to the Pop Culture Cosmos. Don't touch that dial. Wait, do, do people still use dials? Needing an edge for your fantasy football team? Listen to the guys at Inside Sports Fantasy Football for insight that will help you reach your league championship. That's Inside Sports Fantasy Football. Check it out today on your favorite podcast outlet. Well, my friend, we're here. We are here. We're here, man. After a long, long, long trip, all the way down from number 200, we're now down to the final 10. It's a list of the top 10 in our top 200 video games of all time, as voted upon by our awesome followers of the Pop Culture Cosmos. We reached out to the community of the Pop Culture Cosmos, and they responded in kind with their picks for the best video games of all time. We've been counting them down week in, week out. If you want the entire list, it's available now at popculturecosmos.wordpress.com. I can't believe we're finally here, but it is. It's the top 10 games, and I'm going to read it out right now for you. So here it comes, everyone. 
the top 10 games in our top 200 list of video games of all time. Number 10, Metal Gear Solid. At number 9, Persona 5. At number 8, Tetris. Number 7, Super Metroid. At number 6, Legend of Zelda, Ocarina of Time. Number 5, Super Mario World. Number 4, Legend of Zelda, A Link to the Past. Number 3, Chrono Trigger. Number 2, Final Fantasy VII. And number 1. Super Mario Brothers 3. So there you have it, my friend. There's the list of our top 10 video games of all time. What a great list indeed. A lot of great games there. And there's no one out there that's going to tell me that Nintendo games aren't popular or never have been popular because our list, especially our top 10 games, are full of Nintendo products. So I want to hear your thoughts, my friend, in detail these top 10 games, let it soak in, let it just wash over you. And I want to hear your thoughts on the top 10 video games of all time. It's been quite the journey here. I look at this list and, you know, sadly, I there's a good probably 25% of these games that I have never played before. But a lot of the ones that I am familiar with are games that have been, you know, vital gaming experiences for me growing up. Going through our top 10 here, uh, Metal Gear Solid 1, I remember I got a PlayStation. I've told you on other shows, episodes, that I had a PlayStation when all my friends had Nintendo 64. Remember, PlayStation used to come with demo discs. And on the first demo disc I ever got was Metal Gear Solid. And I remember at the time, it came out around the same time Siphon Filter did. So, like, I wanted to play Siphon Filter, but then I started playing Metal Gear Solid, and I was like, this is a, a... pretty solid game because it had you know had the text dialogue boxes like it was it was different it was something beyond what i have played before so as i'm sitting there playing you know as solid snake i i kind of like got there's this this feeling of like it it was fun to hide behind things you know and try to sneak around people it got frustrating but it was like a good satisfying kind of frustrating if that makes sense so this was a game that I, i did pick up and i did play i loved it and, you know, as, as it says on here, it got 94% from critics, sold over 6 million copies. And a lot of people say that it's one of the most important video games ever made. And I don't know how you feel about that, but like a game that has lasted from the year it came out, 20 years, right? Came from the year it came out and went on to spawn comic books, sequels, novels. And Kojima, the guy that created this franchise, has Death Stranding coming out. So you can't look at a game like this and say that it has not left a legacy on the gaming industry, like positive, negative, whatever it is you think of this game, you can't look at it and say that it has not had some kind of impact on gaming. You know, even look at games like Splinter Cell, right? It came out at a very specific time and these games, you don't see them anymore. You don't see these games where you're sneaking around anymore. So even Metal Gear Solid evolved by the time was the the last one that came out. Was it called? Phantom Pain. Yeah, you know, and you saw Solid Snake riding around on the horseback and stuff like that through a more open world environment. So, yes, it's a game that is worthy of a top 10 spot. Now, going down here, Persona 5, this is one that really 
not confuse me, but like surprise me, right? Because Persona 5 is a relatively new game. Like it just came out a couple years ago. So it surprised me that this was on this, but everyone I've talked to has said such positive things about this game. I've never played it and I want to play it, but I just haven't had a chance because someone said it's like a 180 hour game or something like that. So I just have not had the time to sit down and, and uh, devote to a game like this. But Everyone that I've talked to about this game has said so many great things about it. Every review I've read, everything I've listened to, like the only complaint is that it's long. Other than that, everybody seems to love this game. Going down to Tetris, of course, Tetris is going to make the list. It has to. It's the most popular game, or it's the was the, the most played game ever made. Because it's been on more versions that has been put yeah. out, even over Pac-Man or anything like that. So. Yeah, and you know, I I'm curious what happened with the whole legal battle with this because I know the guy that made it he didn't profit off of it at all. I know the Russian government was getting the money for this, so I'm just curious, like how that licensing thing worked out. I've never done any research on it, but it might be something exciting to look into one day. I have never played Super Metroid. You know, like I said, my first Nintendo system was the Wii. Ocarina of Time, great game, absolutely loved it. I played this at a friend's house, right, and it's like it was the first. Zelda that was three-dimensional so it was is the target lock system it had a bunch of new features that had never been on a Zelda game because everything else was just a little side scroller right a little side scroller had a couple top-down ones this was a truly brought Zelda to life in a way that Mario 64 did you know for Mario so I did enjoy this game I liked it a lot I do want to go back and play it again because I don't really remember a lot of it, I just remember it being fun. I didn't have it, so I didn't really get to play it to completion, but it is something that, as someone who just purchased a Nintendo 64 back in July, I would love to go back and play it. Super Mario World, was that the, the RPG one, or was there one called Super Mario RPG? I can't remember. There was a Super Mario RPG. Super Mario World was just a straight console platform. Yeah, and the, is that the one where you had the map, and you travel along? Yep. Okay. And the and cute little music. Yep. So I, I that was it. That's now stuck in your brain. And just let you know on the oh, drive to be. work tomorrow. It'll be your voice playing it too. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I wish that I had the experience of playing some of these older Mario games, but I don't. You know, same thing with uh, a link to the past. I I bought this on Nintendo Switch, like the remastered version. I haven't had a chance to dive into it yet. So I'll go down here to Chrono Trigger. Chrono Trigger is a game that is, it's one of those like once in a lifetime games, you know, you capture that magic and then they had Chrono Cross come out after that. And it just, it did not capture the magic in the way that Chrono Trigger was able to. So I know it was created by a dream team, right? And I think the Dragon Ball guy helped put this one together. So it's just there's all the elements of this game, like all the time traveling elements, all the, the multiple endings, the, the plot driven side quests, like it was something that it was ahead of its time. You know, and even when this game came out, it took a while for people to really, you know, latch onto this. And so it, it's become a cult classic and it's taken, you know, even 20 years after its release, it's taken a long time to get to that place. But it is such a great game. And I would, I think if any game is worthy of a remaster, I would say that it is Chrono Trigger. It's an, it's a long game. And I know if you, you can go on Amazon and buy it in the Final Fantasy collection that has this game inside of it, but it's a great game. Like, you know, I don't want to give too much away. It's your typical RPG, but it has so many elements in it that were way ahead of its time when it came out. And like, whatever you do in the story determines how the game ends. Like, that was the first time I had ever seen that happen. 
Do you have any experience with this one? Have you played it? Only a little. That was all right, but it wasn't something that I was going to go. It's an all-time classic for me, although I know and am aware that it's such a vaunted game with a whole bunch of people out there, and it's connected with millions of people out there, that it has now a place in the video game history and lore as being one of the greatest games of all time. So I'm never going to fault a game like Chrono Trigger and its place in history or a place on this list. No, I mean, it's definitely worthy of that number three spot. Okay, so everybody has that game that made them a gamer. You know, I played games growing up. Sonic briefly dabbled in Mario over at Friends House and stuff like that. But I would say Final Fantasy VII is the game that truly made me a gamer. There's something about, you know, just being in that world, you know, fighting Shinra, being in Midgar. Like, it's just, it's, the mythology is so rich that you care about the characters. Like, this was the first Final Fantasy that was 3D, I guess would be the term. It was a PlayStation game. Like it was, oh my gosh, I just remember the first time picking up a controller and playing this game and being instantly hooked into what's going on. This was my first Final Fantasy game. I didn't go back and play the others until I played this one. But just, you know, the the character development, the story, the music, the excitement of getting into a battle and hearing the, you know, it all mixed so well together. And I understand why this is the best Final Fantasy game out there. It's just, it has so much. And it was such a great hopping on point for people who have never played the games before, who are new to the franchise. You know, after years of these games existing in fantasy settings, Final Fantasy VII comes on here and a more like futuristic steampunk vibe to it. And it works, you know, and it has a story that was, you know, at the time more relatable to everybody playing it. And they had bad guys that you were okay not liking and good guys that you sympathize with. And I'm super excited to be playing to, you know, to play in February or March, the remastered version of it. So I can talk a lot about Final Fantasy VII, but I will go on to Super Mario Brothers 3 and say, unfortunately, I've never played it. <laughs> so I know it's anticlimactic. Yeah, right. So uh, I want to ask you, though, what are your thoughts on these final 10 games we got on this list? Uh, I'm just, yeah, I'm not sure if my headset is working properly, but I thought I heard you say you've never played Super Mario Brothers 3. I never owned a Super Nintendo. So again, I, I just thought, I, I, I don't, I mean, maybe it's just, man, these audio techniques work usually awesome, and they're the best headset I've ever had but I know I I, I plan on playing it one day but I just never I never had a Super Nintendo so I didn't really get a chance to play a lot of these games I played Super Mario Bros 2 I didn't play the third one though wow you realize this is the number one video game of all time not only voted as by us but it's been voted number one on more than one occasion with more than one outlet thought of as number one by more than one individual out there. Yeah, no, I'm aware of that. It's just something I never really went back to play. It is a great game. It's not my favorite all-time game, but I did play it. And it is also deserving of its place on this list. And it's just a, it's, it's a great experience. It is the best Mario game. Super Mario Brothers did appeal to me, and I did play that a lot when I was a kid. But yeah, Super Mario Brothers 3 is is... It's the deal. I mean, I can see why a lot of people love it. I can see why it's constantly thought of by all the gaming outlets out there that they all think it's the number one video game of all time. This is not a surprise to anyone out there. I mean, it's place in history. It's just, it's there. 
I mean, it's just thought of so well. It's just thought of so highly. I mean, I've never heard a disparaging word about Super Mario Brothers 3 in all my life. So, I mean, I'm sure there's people out there who don't like it, which is people out there who didn't get it. But, yeah, it's it's definitely number one. I didn't think there was a doubt to me once I started seeing people's top ten lists come in that Super Mario Brothers 3 was going to be the number one good game all time. I didn't think there was a doubt. Final Fantasy VII, I know a lot of people are connected to that game. And if somebody wants to know why that it's been taking eons for a remake to come out, all they have to do is check out the popularity of that game. So it's also justified where it's at. Super Mario Brothers, that's not even a question. I enjoyed it. It's one of the great console mover games of all time. And then also you got Tetris up on the list at number eight. That's deserving because I like Pong, like... Pac-Man, Asteroids, like some of those quintessential and transitional games in history, it is right up there and is something that I think a lot of people have, even if you've just tried it a couple times or variation of Tetris in some form or fashion, even the Tetris game that just came out a couple years ago, which reinvigorated the Tetris genre, it's been a game that I think a lot of people will truly enjoy for many years to come. And it certainly is deserving a place in this top 10 list as well. And the last game I want to cover is Metal Gear Solid. With the game coming around the corner from Kojima, he's got a lot to live up to. And it all starts with this game, because this game is the Kojima masterpiece. That would be a little bit lower on the list, like in the top five personally. But still, it's a great showing for Metal Gear Solid. It's one of the top 10 video games of all time. So we did it, my friend. That's the top 10 video games of all time on our top 200 list. That's voted on by everyone that's out there at the Pop Culture Cosmos community. I'm going to give everybody out there listening a heads up, but we're going to introduce it later this week. But you can go ahead and start sending in your votes now, either on our social media or email us. Our next list that we're going to compile is the top 100 movies of all time. So get on your thinking hats. Get out your pen and paper or get out your keyboard because you know what? We want to hear from you on your top 10 movies of all time. And from that, they'll all be collected. They'll all be thought of. If we get enough votes in, we might actually have to go top 200. But we're going to start at top 100, okay? We're going to make sure we got enough votes to make a clear top 100. So if you got a list of 10, it's going to go off of a 10-point scale. Send us your top 10 list of movies today. Whenever you hear this, or as soon as possible, I haven't set a deadline yet. We're going to give you a heads up in the coming weeks when a deadline is. But if you get a chance, start sending those top 10 lists today. PopCultureCosmos at Yahoo.com. Also as well, PopCultureCosmos, Humanity Media, and Game Source on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram as well. Well, coming up next, it's our good friend Jason Todd Feinberg with his top 10 movie picks for this Halloween And then right after, Josh is going to go ahead with some album choices that you need to listen to, and also our Halloween picks as well. This is the Pop Culture Cosmos. Rob McCallum Films is back with a vengeance. Power of Grayskull, the definitive history of He-Man and the Masters of the Universe, which chronicles the ultimate 80s billion-dollar franchise, Masters of the Universe. See exclusive interviews and hear untold stories from the people responsible for creating the world of Eternia, a place full of magic and science, and learn about the craft of creating action figures and animation. Power of Grayskull is just one of our many projects at Rob McCallum Films. It's Gerald Glassford from Pop Culture Cosmos. We're coming right back at you here. And I'll tell you what, 
it's that time of the year. It's that spooky time of the year where everybody just likes to go out. They trick or treat and all that good stuff. But you know what? It's also a good time for all those horror movies to be, you know, pull them out of the DVD library, pull them out of the Blu-rays as far as that you got stacked over on the side on the bookcase. Pull them out. Even if you can find them on streaming, go for it as well because we've got a lot of great picks for you. It is our top 10 movies to watch this Halloween, and there's no one better to count them down with than my good friend, he is the man from Hunnic Queen. You got to check out his awesome group today on Facebook. That's H U N N I C W E E N. This is his time of the year. It is Jason Todd Feinberg. Jason, glad to have you back on this spooky episode of the Pop Culture Cosmos. Uh, it was only, what, two years ago we've been doing this? And I, boy, this was a challenge. <laughs> so I kind of decided to make this more Halloween. But I feel that you're going to really enjoy this list because I did try to pick some movies that you, the listeners and viewers, have forgotten. So without further ado, number 10, I have The Others, which was with Nicole Kidman. Now, unfortunately, I don't know what's scary. The fact that it came out in 2001, several weeks before September 11th, and people forgot about this film. But this is your classic haunted house movie set in the 21st century i don't want to give too much away the only thing i will give away is she plays a widow with her two children that are sensitive to light and she hears voices and feels that her house is possessed by ghosts and these two caretakers come out of nowhere and they have a creepy past of their own also including people taking pictures of their deceased friends and relatives and propping them up and having them wear these Victorian clothes. It's got a really great twist ending, which I kind of figured was true, but I don't want to give too much away. People sadly have forgotten about this film. One of the advertisements was Kidman's daughter in uh, a dress and a veil and playing with the dolls and Kidman asking, what have you done with my daughter? And she looks up in the call and creepily says, I am your daughter. It's not just about the jump scares. It's about... Uh, it's respecting... Again, I don't want to spoil this one. It's mainly just respecting the haunted house genre without the... You know, the da-da-da-bam. So that, that's all I'm going to give away. But it's, it's definitely going to be worth your time for number nine. Uh, I'm picking the 1991 version of Adam's Family. Now, it's not horror so much as more Halloween-esque... But after watching the 2019 version, I did forget one other thing that in the 1992, Universal decided to have the special dedicated to all their classic movie monsters. And Adam's Family not only was discussed, but apparently there were several horror films that were nominated for Best Horror, and Adam's Family won. And I felt like they just kind of generated the show to give more PR to the Adams family and eventually would get the sequel. It's terrible made cast. It's got Raul Julia, um, Uncle Fester's played by Christopher Lloyd, Doc Brown. You have Christina Ricci that gives a great Wednesday Adams, and Jericho Houston, as I stated. And it, it, it kind of pays homage more to the 50s comic than anything. It doesn't really have much of a great plot but it's 
again, it, it, it kind of respects what Charles Adams did years ago compared to the 2019 animated film. As for number eight, I did this as a three-way tie. We did lose Toby Hooper, and I came very close to picking Poltergeist, but there's always been that controversy. Did he direct it or Spielberg? So I decided to go with Texas Chainsaw Massacre 1 and 2, and I'm also adding 3, and I'll tell you why. As stated in this Universal Horror Award show that Robert England hosted uh, 92, they did discuss Texas Chainsaw. That's the first time I heard of it. It was a different kind of horror. You're dealing with backwoods cannibal rednecks who like to trap their victims, kill them, and eat them. It's got a memorable dinner scene. As for Leatherface of Texas Chainsaw Massacre, I, I, he's not really up there with Freddy or Jason. He doesn't have much of a personality. And in each sequel, they keep changing the plot and the victims. But what I like about 2 is that 2 didn't try to copy 1. They tried to make 2 a little bit more like a Haramity but I feel that Dennis Hopper stole the show. And, of course, we had the cook, Seedow, uh, who was also awesome. And we had Bill Mosley's Chop Top. And it, it is some memorable performances, even though it's not as scary as the first. And the third tried to go back to its roots with a different family and a different version of Leatherface. So it doesn't get much love, uh, part three, but it's a lot better than the 21st century uh, remakes that Blumhouse did years ago, and the less we talk about the next generation, the better. As for number seven, again, we did lose George Romero a couple years ago. I'm just going to state right now, I did not put Neither Living Dead on this list because it, it, it's in a class by itself, and everybody always talks about Neither Living Dead. So I decided to pick one that nobody really talks about too much. It was going to be Dawn of the Dead, but I decided to go with Monkey Shines. And the reason for that is Monkey Shines was a very ambitious project that I think at this time was way ahead of its time. We're dealing with service animals more now than we did 20, 30 years ago. And this is um, a man who's paralyzed and has a helper monkey, but it has been injected with a special serum that makes it smarter. Now, Today, anybody can cookie-cut that plot, but it's something about this paralyzed man uh, dealing with now a highly intelligent monkey and an overbearing mother and a jump scare that, again, not going to spoil it, it's in the last five to ten minutes of the film. I, I got to tell you, it, if you can find it, it's a little hard to get your hands on. Definitely worth your time. For number six... I actually decided to pick a movie that nobody really talks about too much. It does deal with zombies, but not in the way that you think. It's called The Invisible Invaders, and it's pretty much what Plan 9 from Out of Space would have been. And it does deal with aliens resurrecting the dead for an invasion. Now, again, originally I didn't have George Romero's Land of the Dead. I did want to put a George Romero, but everybody's always talking about Romero, and they know of Creepshow, what they know of. They they definitely know of Romero. So it's not out of disrespect, but again, you've heard of those movies. I feel that The Invisible Invaders, because everybody's always bashing Plan 9 from Outer Space, 
I figured this would be a much more interesting film. Uh, five originally was going to be Coraline, but I had forgotten about another film that actually was even more disturbing. It was called The Day the Earth Caught Fire, and it is about a, the U.S. Army as well as the British government. They were launching missiles, a new type of missile, and unfortunately it throws the Earth out of its axis, and we're actually moving closer to the sun. Now, if you ever watch a Twilight Zone episode, The Midnight Sun, uh, there is an episode where the Earth is spinning towards the sun, but then in the twist, it's actually going away from the sun. Uh, this movie, I don't think, was influenced, but it was around during the time. It doesn't have a twist ending, but more of a cliffhanger, as mankind is trying to fix shooting the missiles again and setting things right, and there's a... Uh, you can call him protagonist or antagonist. It's really hard about this reporter. But he's the main narrator. And it I can't give away the ending because it, it's one of those thinking endings where you're going to see two headlines. And one is going to say Earth doomed or Earth saved. And it's one of those thinking of, of how we're evolving weapons and how ma weapons of mass destruction will destroy the Earth. And it won't just be World War Three; It'll be just testing weapons. Found it interesting. It, it, it definitely, it's it's out there. It was made in the '60s. It is black and white, but I think you'd definitely enjoy it. And it, it doesn't take up too much of your time. It, it, it's under 80 minutes, so it's really not that bad at all. For number four, I was going to put in Hocus Pocus because it's shoved in everybody's grill on Halloween nowadays, especially since I think last year was the 25th anniversary. I do love Bette Midler, Sarah Jessica Parker, and Kathy and Jimmy. I think they're the best parts of being the witches. It's not a bad story. But it came out in July for a Halloween film, which is bizarre. Well, Disney Plus is already geared up for another one. Probably, what, maybe a year or two? Yeah, and it's original cast, but I don't know what else they could really do. So it's not a bad film, but again, you know of it because it, 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 it's shoved in everybody's faces now. So... For number four, I decided to pick, as you know, Scary Stories Telling the Dark came out this summer. But there is a documentary you can find on Amazon, which does discuss the history of the books by Alvin Schwartz, who decided to collect urban legends and folklore and team up with artist Stephen Gamel and give us some of the classic Scary Stories Telling the Dark trilogy. It's an interesting documentary. However, a good percentage deals with parents in the Midwest wanting to ban these books because not only were the images disturbing, it's definitely worth your time to watch this documentary. I can't really recommend the Scary Stories movie that came out. It's good. It is produced by Guillermo del Toro, but he didn't direct it, and the pacing is a little off. So... I would really recommend this documentary more than anything. Number three, I'm actually going to go to our good friends in South Korea because they seem to know horror very well. And while we got Godzilla films in Japan and we kind of got this Americanized version of Godzilla not once but twice with Cloverfield and, well, the 1998 version of Godzilla, the host is actually not a bad it wasn't. It was done in South Korea, but it, it it kind of feels that it was the Cloverfield movie we should have seen. Like 
we can't Americanize Japanese or South Korean movies. We just can't do it. Asia's more creative when it comes to these monster films. It's about two men who work in a morgue and they decide to pour formaldehyde down a sink instead of disposing it properly. And a fish mutates and it turns into this uh, quadruped type of creature that's constantly growing. And unfortunately, it comes on land and chaos ensues. Now, it does try to be a little funny now and then. It tries to make light of this genre. But you got to check out The Host. It's definitely, again, one of those underrated films. Number two, several years ago, we, all, we lost Robin Williams. And he's actually been in two horror films. There was one that is almost like the movie Evil Ed about a man who works in a projection room and can't tell fantasy from reality. And I do have Evil Ed. I didn't get a chance to watch it, believe it or not. But I decided to pick One Hour Photo. It's a very disturbing film, very underrated Robin Williams performance where he plays a clerk in a Walmart-type store in a one-hour photo booth. And he stalks what he believes is a perfect family. It came out in 04, I believe. People don't talk about it too much. Robin Williams would always challenge himself, and there's just something... It has a very controversial talk about ending, especially when Williams is not only stalking his family, but he finds out they weren't as perfect as he thinks as the father's having an affair. And you'll start to see how he unravels more and more and, of course, we have Gary Cole from Office Space and the Brady Bunch movie as the boss, uh, pretty much calling Robin Williams on his shenanigans about stalking people and giving away free merchandise on their birthdays. But it's Williams that, unfortunately, I feel got snubbed for the Oscars for this film. So it's a different type of horror, and I like when it's not dealing with monsters. So if you, if you like these psychological horror films, one-hour photo another underrated film as i stated before i did have a lot of honorable mentions there's halloween in the box which is a documentary about those famous smocks and plastic masks we used to get in the 70s and 80s and they go back actually to the 50s and 60s it's on amazon.com check that one out there's alfred hitchcock's the birds again there's Coraline and hocus pocus and all the george romero zombie films won't cater for you there are, and especially the Return of the Living Dead, one. You don't need to deal with the sequels. So many films I can discuss, but this was a tough one. And I decided to pick for my number one spot a movie that nobody really talks about too much. And it was Americanized, and it was a mess. But if you get your hands on the Asian version, you'll thank me for this one. It is called The Eye, and it is about a woman who was a cellist. And she got into an accident. She's blind. And thanks to uh, an organ donor, you know, after the organ donor, of course, died, she gets the eyes of, of this deceased woman. And now she can see ghosts. But unlike Shyamalan's Sixth Sense, this woman gains the power after gaining the eyes of the day. woman would, would we find out, uh, you know, could see dead people. But the thing is is that there are two very disturbing scenes. The, the, the pacing's a little off. It's very hard to find this movie. You may have to get it off of eBay. Uh, the only version get right now that's not a problem would be the Jessica Alba version. But really, if you can go on eBay, 
I see it sell for $10 here and there. Go check out the Asian version of the eye. And if you don't believe me, you can always YouTube the eye elevator scene. And I know there are a lot of these ghost elevator scenes that are on YouTube. I feel that the eye originated and the boy who's looking for his report card. Again, the pacing gets a little wonky towards the, you know, the second, third act. But trust me, movie is definitely going to be worth your time as well. But again, a lot of these movies are not talked about as much as they should. And I feel that in a McDonald world of everybody being franchised and universed, you know, even get yourself a Shutter.com account for $5 a month or, or an Amazon Prime. You, you're going to see a lot of great horror films. And, and if Bravo the, still exists, around this time they have their top 100 scares. They'll give you a great list of some movies as well. But again, you know, they're, 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 they're psycho. Oh, God. There's, there's the original Frankenstein. There's the challenging... There are parts of Ghost Story, not too fond of um, Vault of Horror, Tales from the Crypt, the British version. I like the TV show better. There's Tales from the Crypt, Demon Knight. There, there's the Halloween series, there's Nightmare on Elm Street. So you, you get the idea. And that's why I feel that Halloween for me, I can only really enjoy these films in the fall, early winter. But, again, there is going to be one catered to you. So, again, Gerald, thank you so much. Everyone have a wonderful Halloween this year. I know it falls on a Thursday night, but we used to trick-or-treat on school nights. But it, it, it's definitely – and listen, everybody is entitled to one good scare. That they are indeed. Although, you didn't mention one that I have on the top of my head. Oh, what's that? Alien. You know, I would, but the problem is, again, because I talk about franchising, Ridley Scott has been making prequels to the prequels and sequels to the prequels, and, and, and make every time we 21st century these movies now, and reboots and remakes and prequels, it becomes a mess that we forget how good the original were. And I have the box set, and I have the first four, and I love the, well, I love one I love Alien, Aliens, and I and I have a guilty, you know, spot for Resurrection. The less we talk about Alien Three, the better. But I can't watch those whatever the hell was it Convergence or I don't even know what. The, and even Predator, I tried to watch Predator Two, I couldn't. I've watched Alien versus Predator, the first one. I tried to watch Requiem, I couldn't. I mean, I, I hear what you're saying, but again, I can go on and on. There's like, we can do hours on, on this stuff. That's a haunted house movie in, in outer space. It doesn't get the respect it deserves. Once again, it's my good friend, Jason Todd Feinberg from Hunting Queen. You got to check out all of his great stuff that he's got going today at Hunting Queen on Facebook. You join the group today and you'll always be there to get in the latest as far as what's going on in pop culture and what he's up to. Because you never know what to expect when it comes to Honeyweed out on Facebook. My friend, it's always been great talking to you. Likewise, I wish everyone a safe and happy Halloween. And may you have all the scares that you're looking for, my friend, upcoming oh, this Halloween. Thank you. Always great to have you a part of the show. And, of course, always great to have you a part of the pop culture cosmos. Happy Halloween. 
I shall. If you need your video game fix, be sure to check out Retro City Games. Located in Town Square on Las Vegas Boulevard or in Henderson, Nevada, Retro City Games has the cure for all your video game vices. Retro games and games for current consoles, Nintendo, Sega, PlayStation, Xbox, and more. Retro City Games has all the staples from any library and some highly collectible offerings too. So pick up a few games today at Retro City Games in Town Square on Las Vegas Boulevard or in Henderson, Nevada. Retro City Games is your video game metropolis. And we're back to close out the show. This is the Pop Culture Cosmos. If you need a listing of where we're at because we're being played all around the world, seven days a week, yes, even Halloween, just check out our listing today of all of our great radio stations, and that's going to be at Pop Culture Cosmos on Facebook. And you also see a listing of many of our over 30 different podcast options as well. You've got a spooky and scary book that's getting a lot of five-star reviews in Congratulations, You Suck. What's going on with Congratulations, You Suck? And where can I get it? It's for sale now. You can go on Amazon.com, Barnes & Noble. It's now available on PalsBooks.com if you're in the Portland area. And you should pick it up. Yeah, it's getting some good reviews. So I would appreciate if you bought a copy. Let me know your thoughts on it. And if you already have, please leave a review or two. I would love to see what your thoughts are. Go ahead and check out Congratulations, You Suck Today by going ahead and ordering it on barnesandnoble.com, amazon.com, the Nook, the Kindle, or just walk into your local Barnes & Noble and ask for Congratulations, You Suck from my good friend, Josh Peterson. Just want to go ahead and thank Jason Todd Feinberg for being on today's show, talking about the best movies that he likes for this Halloween. My friend, before we go ahead with some more choices for us on this Halloween, I want to go ahead and hear your thoughts on some albums you think people need to listen to. Well, not necessarily on Halloween, but anytime in the near future. As far as like 2019 albums go, I've listened to 12. And the ones that I like so far commonwealth which we discussed have made this album really great really captures pain and emotion that comes with addiction and abandonment and stuff like that like it it really touches on a lot of very sensitive issues and the lead singer like the the way that he his his voice he's able to to use his voice to capture what that feels like is absolutely fantastic like it's my number one album of the year is commonwealth the album is called everyone around me check it out now next album is called What's Past is Prologue by Free Throw. And what originally got me into this album, I was going on YouTube looking for other albums by this record label I liked. And I came across this one. And I love that it has two songs named after Pokemon things. So one is called Tail Whip Struggle. And the other one is called Cerulean City. And if you listen to the lyrics, they're so awkward and heartfelt. It's basically a guy just singing his diary to you. So it's, a, it's really good. It's, it's rock alternative a little mixture of both but definitely check that out going on to bear's den is another good one they wrote the song agape so they're a, a band from the uk a lot of banjos and things like that so check them out it's thrice had an ep come out called deeper wells if you liked their last album this is kind of a continuation of what they're doing more electronica than you know the screaming and hard rock sound that they are known for silver sun pickups If you are a fan of Panic Switch, I know a lot of people love that. They had a new album come out called Widow's Weeds, which is really good. I was not a fan of the album that featured Bloody Mary, and I know that's kind of a departure from their style. So Widow's Weeds kind of returns to the hard rock sounds, 
of Swoon. That whole album was super hard and really good. And that's what a lot of Silver Sun pickup fans remember and love about them was that album. This album kind of goes back to that. Again, the album is called Widow's Weeds. You can check that out now. If you are a fan of Atreyu and you listened to their album last year called In Our Wake, they have a deluxe edition out now that has a few new songs on it. And it has some acoustic versions of In Our Wake and, and some other things on there that are worth checking out. Slipknot, I know we talked about on an episode, We Are Not Your Kind. The album's like being nominated for all these different things. Blink-182's new album, Nine, is actually really good. I, this is the second album with the lead singer of, of Alkaline Trio. And then Jimmy Eat World's Surviving is a really good album also. like They've never really made an album that disappointed me, but this album going back, like I've listened to it over and over again. I love every song on it. So if you're a fan of, you know, like Bleed America, it's not that, but it is something still worth listening to. And I will give you a warning now. Do not listen to the new Third Eye Blind album. It is garbage in its purest form. So that is what I've listened to so far this year. We're going to keep doing new segments. So I'm going to talk monthly on albums that came out that whatever month we happen to be in at the end of each month. So tune in for that. And if you have anything you'd like me to listen to or like us to listen to, send us an email at popculturecosmos at yahoo.com and we will give it a listen. We'll do a little review on the air. Sounds good, my friend. That is, again, popculturecosmos and yahoo.com. Send it to us and we'll go ahead and, like Josh said, give it a review and share our thoughts on the program. All right, my friend. It's been a spooky and scary episode. Friday. Terminator Dark Fate is going to come out. We're going to be talking, obviously, about that and some other great stuff in the world of pop culture. But any last scary thoughts on the way out, Josh? Yeah, if you want to watch a terrible movie, watch Annabelle Homecoming. You know, again, I always respect the craft that goes into making movies, but this movie, I was expecting more of something being attached to the Conjuring franchise. It was basically happened because one teenage girl was an idiot there's a, a certain level of like intelligence that has always come with movies in the conjuring franchise but this just took them back like several steps before we head on out one last thing i mentioned to jason that i thought one good horror movie pick would be alien what are your thoughts on a horror pick this halloween okay so if we're talking old movies i'm a huge fan of the original friday the 13th just because i didn't know what that was when that first came out is something that had I had never been exposed to, so that's why it kind of resonates so well with me. If you're talking newer films, I actually really enjoyed The Nun. You know, I know I just blasted part of the Conjuring franchise a second ago, but The Nun was actually a really good movie. So it's two opposite sides of the same coin, but I really enjoyed The Nun. And Pan's Labyrinth is a good one, but yeah, The Nun is, is kind of my top choice this year. I mentioned that to Jason Todd Feinberg that The Nun probably is the standout to me in the Conjuring franchise as well. So yeah, check out The Nun and then also as well what Josh was talking about. But another little one to add on to your Witch's Brew before we head on out. And that's The Exorcist. Just in case you want to see Linda Blair spin her head around one last time. You know, that's a movie I never saw. Like, I can watch movies about ghosts and ghouls and stuff, but when it comes to, like, like possession flicks, I can't do it. They scare me. Something just possessed you. Scary. So for Josh Peterson, this is Gerald Asphore. It's another spooky day in paradise right here in the pop culture cosmos.
we thank you for listening. And here's hoping you have yourself a scary day. <laughs> Ha 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 ha!